Alignment, that magical state all product leaders seek but rarely experience for very long. If and when we do manage to achieve alignment, it's a fleeting moment of euphoria that evaporates as soon as we recognize the next area of misalignment to tackle. In this episode of Fearless Product Leadership, we learn why product leaders must effectively align their executives, stakeholders, and teams as they fearlessly answer the question, why must you align people on tough decisions? Welcome to the Fearless Product Leadership Podcast. This is the show for new product leaders seeking to increase their confidence and competence. In every episode, I ask experienced and thoughtful product leaders to share their strategies and tactics that have helped them tackle a tough responsibility of the product leader role. I love helping emerging product leaders shorten their learning curves to expedite their professional success with great products, teams, and stakeholder relationships. I'm your host and CEO of Fearless Product, Hope Curion. How can I ensure we're aligned? is without a doubt the most common question I hear from my product leader coaching clients. For many product leaders, the feeling of not being aligned is palpable, but the underlying causes of the misalignment aren't always so clear. How do you bring to the surface where and why you aren't aligned? And how can you remedy it? It can be time-consuming, and it can frustrate many product leaders who are loath to add yet another responsibility to an already full and shifting plate. To try to help with this challenging and important issue, that every product leader will experience, I'm doing something a little different for the next few episodes of the Fearless Product Leadership Podcast. In a three-episode mini-series, we're going to deeply explore the why and how of achieving alignment for product leaders. In this first episode, three chief product officers share what it means to truly be aligned and why alignment is a critical state of being for product leaders, executives, and product teams. In the next episode, five experienced product leaders share the tactics they use to align around priorities, decisions, and investment allocations. In the final episode, we learn from Bob Gower and Alex Jamison how the techniques shared in the previous episodes stack up to the techniques they have found to be most effective, which they're detailing in their new book, Radical Alignment, how to have game-changing conversations that will transform your business and your life. So let's level up on why achieving a state of alignment is so powerful for product leaders their executive teams, and their product teams. Fearlessly and philosophically tackling the question, why must you align people on tough decisions, are Nate Walkingshaw, former Chief Experience Officer at Pluralsight, Sean Murphy, VP of Digital Pharmacy at Optum and former VP of Product at Target, Troy Anderson, multiple-time Chief Product and Technology Officer, currently leading product at Aperture Credentialing. First, Nate Walkingshaw shares some awesome insights on aligning leaders and teams around the right product experiences. You'll hear how he uses the mission vision strategy framework to align on the what, but you'll also hear why co-authoring is so critical to truly achieve alignment. He'll share his story about a pivotal moment in Pluralsight's history that shaped what true trust in the product team's ability to understand customers' needs looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is how I align, you know, an organization or teams around, you know, different strategic initiatives or priorities or things uh, across the business. And I think, you know, early, I'd say early on in my product leadership career, even as a leader, as a CEO, you know, I always, I struggled with gaining alignment around things. And I think the, the thing that plagues product leaders is consensus. 
Like when you try and go grab alignment and you're really committed to the outcome that your product is intending to produce, um, you know, what happens a lot of the time is you talk and interview people and gain alignment. Um, you end up, you know, in this conceding mentality. And really, all you have to do is go through this consensus, align people around, you know, what everyone wanted, and then you ship the product and it fails. And you learn pretty quickly that gaining alignment around consensus isn't going to work. And so, you know, a piece of feedback that I give is that, look, you, you have to be pretty committed, um, one, to the mission of the company, two, of the vision of the product, which is like two to three years out, and then the strategy, which is the execution year you're in to deliver that vision and that mission. <clears throat> and you have to make sure that every person that you're trying to gain alignment clearly understands those three components. You know, once those components are defined, then it's the execution layer gets a lot, lot easier. And I would say a key element for, for me that I've learned is, is being able to capture the voice, one of your customer and your teams from a bottoms, you know, from the bottoms up. And then, you know, reconciling that with the alignment around the mission of the company or the vision or the strategy that you have. And then making sure that a lot of those ingredients that went into the, the creation of that are co-authored and shared. <clears throat> and, when, and when that happens, um, I think you can just count on unleashing this amount of energy to teams and to products that allows you this unexpected velocity that you've never seen before. And I'll give you like one good example. You know, we had, you know, eight, when I first started Pluralsight, we had like a team of eight. Um, and I think by the end of the year, we had a, a team of 40 roughly. And what was interesting about that um, is when we, we started the continuous delivery work, you know, we, I think that first year was like 61 new experiences, but we probably spent a full quarter like working on the mission of our product, the vision of what we were actually going to go tackle, which we had never done. We'd never talked to customers before to learn what our customers might want. And then what were the first priorities of that strategy to deliver the outcome? And like we aligned on outcomes. Remember, there's no outputs. Like this is like, okay, well, if we ship this thing, what, what is the outcome? So human behavior would have to interact with this thing in order for us to prove it true. Not, hey, did we ship it on a certain date? And I'm telling you right now, like that was a secret. I feel like a secret ingredient at that point in time, you know, that people had never experienced. Like we're going to wait for people to interact with the product, look at the interaction of the product and then make decisions to see if it mapped back to strategy. And it was awesome. Awesome. 61 new experiences. But that second year, now that we had been in that cadence, uh, was 275 new product experiences on our on our enterprise product offering that actually yielded the types of outcomes we wanted, the type of human behavior, engagement, retention uh, characteristics that we wanted. And we had really happy teams. Like the, the, the teams felt safe. They felt that they could be heard. They felt that their voices were included in the development of this product. Um, and it, it, it really created a different dynamic that I'd never felt before on another product team. Can you tell me more about the co-authoring as a mechanism for alignment? Yeah, so um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about this concept of co-authoring. So this is going to be deep, like probably deeper than you're expecting to go here. You know, the way that you create, you know, co-authoring is, you know, teams, individuals, leadership, you know, everyone has like their own world, their own truth and their own experiences. I think in order for you to co-author or co-create something like really purposeful is you actually have to be able to 
and it's just for like, it can be for 30 seconds. It can be for 90 seconds, but you actually have to be able to go over to this other person's world, truth and experience, um, and actually fully empathize with what's happening with those teams. Um, and a good use case for this is that like we could pick an experience inside Pluralsight's product, like learning paths, like the mission, the vision, the strategy, like we were, like we were hell bent on making sure that learning paths actually entered its way into the product. And remember, there's no qualitative or quantitative data behind this. The product management teams, however, had done a ton of discovery work. They had interviewed hundreds of learners and technology leaders on, you know, how they would want to experience learning paths. It was one great experience we had. Well, the teams came back and said, hey, Nate, team, you know, when we interviewed these developers, they actually don't want a learning path. And we're like, no, that's, no, no, no. And it's like, no, they, they, they don't want a learning path. I'm like, okay, well, well, tell us more. And he's like, well, these developers are already front-end engineers. They actually don't need a front-end engineering path called Angular. Like, they already are Angular engineers. They, what they want is a skills path. And they want a skill-specific path relative to the skills they already have. And I'm like, yeah, that is probably pretty accurate. And, and, it, and as we started to try on like these ideas. And I just want to see how big this idea is because like we were going to go with learning paths and then we shifted the product strategy to go skills, then skills path, then they ended up to skill IQ. So credentialing the amount of skills. And now if you look at how our product is used today, the skill path relative to skill IQ is used as a backbone for benchmarking a skill, figuring out the gaps that you have in that skill. And then we build custom experiences based off the knowledge that you already have or don't have. And this literally was just an aggregated, repeatable study that the product teams did. Had we not wanted to listen to what they had to say and look at all of this repeatable data and actually go over to their world, their truth and their experience, like we probably would have shipped learning paths. And I can tell you right now, like it would have had a material impact on the success one of the product, definitely an impact on the culture and the success of the teams because we just would have shuttered all their research to the curb and just said, yeah, thanks. That was cute. I appreciated your feelings there and you'll build learning paths. Um, instead, we co-authored what it could look like uh, together and it completely unlocked our ability to be successful. That's awesome. Uh, the You went not only into the world of the developers and what they cared about, right? Which is, I've got a base of skills. Tell me what more I can do with them. Help me fill in the gaps to become even more talented and valuable and proficient and different things. And into the people who were doing the your own product teams doing the interviews. So like, I think that just exemplifies that like you can have a point of view of how the world should go, but the more you deeply understand it, the better buy-in and value creation path will be. Oh, 100%. The, the, my, teams will, my teams will tell you this, but the word I always, I have two, like, two sayings that I repeat all the time is strong opinions loosely held. So like, I want you to come with a strong opinion, just like make sure you don't hold on to that too tight. And then the last thing is all your answers live in questions if you actively listen. And, and most of the time, if we just kind of sit still and ask questions and listen, most of the answers already live in, you know, other people around us. And, you know, you, you, I don't know, when you ship a lot of products at, at a lot of scale, um, you know, you, you actually, the quieter I get as a leader, because then you actually learn how complex, like, you know, the, the problems are. And then you learn, you know, how small, you know, your ideas are relative to how complex you would need to build something to solve 
pretty big problems. And um, so, you know, I, I think through my career, I've learned to just actually get quieter and quieter and quieter and listen more and more and more. Um, and, you know, the fruits of that have been, you know, learning a ton from the people that are doing the work or from the customers are producing this, this digital exhaust that I get to look at and be like, okay, you know, my strong opinion didn't even need to be there because those answers actually live in a lot of the, the aggregated, you know, quantitative data. It's pretty cool. Next, Sean Murphy shares why it's so important to know who the decision maker is, especially when it's you, and why you need to distinguish between getting agreement versus support from your peers. So the question on how do you align stakeholders uh, when you're trying to make that tough call is is another real tough one that all product owners, all product managers, all product leaders face. And, and there's a, a few things that I think through when, when I'm facing that. And the first off it is what what is the political climate? Uh, I think when you're walking into that situation, it needs to be a full understanding of is there appetite in the organization to to pursue what you you want to do? Do you have the political clout uh, to to pursue what you want to do. If that climate isn't right, uh, then you're probably not going to get that support. And as we were just talking about with technical debt, you know, if you just signed up for a big rewrite, now's not the time to come out uh, and ask for uh, the support on something else. So one is, is the political climate right? Two is, is getting really clear on who the decision maker is. And People want to be consensus driven, but in the end, one person needs to make a call. And I think where, where product leaders, uh, and even myself, I've struggled is seizing that authority to make the call. I think a big part of it is stepping up and saying, Hey, I, I'm going to make this call. Third, I guess, is, um, is the different, is understanding the difference between getting agreement from your partners and getting support from them. You don't necessarily need agreement from them that this is the right thing to do, the right way to go. All you need is their support. And I think being very frank for that, say, listen, Sally, I, I, I know you don't think this is the right direction to go. This is my call and all I need is your support and these three things from you the next step. So I think asking for, for that is really, really important. And then I think the finally is, is a good environment for this is if you've already normed with your team, your peers, your partners on your principles on how you want to behave. The ideas around bias for action, uh, doing fewer things better, uh, about indecision is the worst decision, which is perhaps my favorite uh, calling and something I get trapped in all the time, even. And then, uh, and then also just acknowledging is it reversible? Can you can you try something and and go back if it's not working? And those are all you know some of the tools or techniques that I use when when faced with making a tough decision and asking stakeholders to get support. And a follow up on that: Do you prefer like? individual discussions to get to either decision or support assessment? Or do you try to bring people into a, like a common space to understand the differences or concerns regarding a decision? So, I, so, so the question is, hey, do you, do you, get, uh, do you go one-on-one -on -one to each person or do you try to create a moment where everyone agrees, uh, decide to do something? And I think depending on the situation, either technique could work. If what's going to move people is emotion and, and connect Connection maybe to a real tough problem the guest is having or a consumer is having. I think taking a group of people through a shared experience, a walk in someone else's shoes can be very motivating and powerful. But barring that scenario, I would otherwise focus on one-to-one -one individual uh, conversations, hearing the uh, the challenges, and, and then uh, coming every bringing everyone together afterwards for agreement. 
Finally, Troy Anderson explains why understanding your stakeholder needs is as critical as understanding your customer needs. When you do, that will supercharge your ability to influence and align because you'll be able to communicate the details and decisions in the language and benefits that your stakeholders understand. So for aligning other stakeholders in your organization, um, it's always a mixed bag. It's, you know, Forest Gump, it's a box of chocolate. You have to understand where your chocolates are coming from, right? So if uh, one guy's nougat, uh, another woman's uh, almond, and another one's coconut, you better understand what each of those want. Um, if you don't understand what they want, you can't really come with uh, your message. The key with any sort of alignment issue is understanding where the other person is. And your job is, as a product leader anyway, is to understand the customer. Well, your stakeholders are your customers, sorry. Um, And getting them on board and understanding their perspective, understanding what they're trying to solve. It's all about understanding them. The big mistake I've made in alignment is, oh, well, the product worked. Uh, It hit the outcome. I'm done. Well, no, because... People may not understand. You eliminated a bunch of tech debt. So what? What does that mean to the customer? Right? If you haven't put things into the terms that um, sales uh, appreciates or uh, finance appreciates or you know um, your operations doesn't appreciate, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, if you're not recasting um, your things into their view, um, then you've you failed on the internal customer side. And the internal customer, unfortunately, at most organizations is just as important as the external customer. A great way to get them aligned is to actually bring them into customer interviews. And I can tell you, nobody wants to do that. It's not because they don't want to do it. It's just that they get, you know, I have a bunch of time on my day and I'd rather solve, you know, uh, problem X. If you can get them aligned and you can, you can find a fun environment and you can say, hey, this is what we're trying to solve. I'd really like you to see this and get your perspective on it. They're a little bit more willing to, to go along, um, but then they are involved in the journey and they see what's going on. Um, and then when they go to, uh, you know, when you go to check in uh, with your stakeholders and you've put things into their perspectives. And one thing to do, people, um, before you have a big meeting with a bunch of people in the room, go and meet with each of these people individually if you can. Um, Because um, when you come to a group, they'll all hear it from their own perspective. Um, I think, um, you know, Aristotle said it best um, when he was talking about rhetoric. It's enthymeme. So enthymeme is a big word, uh, E-N-T-H-Y-M-E-M-E, which is essentially you are supposed to let other people fill in the blanks um, for the words that you say. So if I say A, B, C, D equals E, that's laying it all out. If you just say A and B and they fill in C, D, and E, that's enthymeme, right? So, But in order to, to say things in a way that allows people to fill things in by what you're saying, you have to get them on the same page. You don't get them on the same page, they're not going to fill it in. And even if you do A through E, they may not understand it. Who owns alignment is usually not clear in an organization. It's convenient to say it's the CEO or the executive team, but I find that usually someone has to set up the rigor and processes, and it usually comes after a particularly painful bout of misalignment. Product leaders often find themselves at that epicenter of misalignment. They have to navigate the hard choices of how to invest finite resources to create the experiences that will enable their company to succeed in pursuit of their company strategy. So they are the ones most often incented to force decisions and alignment around those hard choices. 
Why is it so important for product leaders to ensure their executives and teams are aligned? For me, it's pretty simple. It boils down to three costs that are too expensive for most organizations and product leaders to want to bear. First, the time and energy wasted straying from an unclear or unsupported decision is too costly. It's costly in terms of that time that could have been spent successfully executing on a clear aligned decision. Second, the doubt and lack of confidence in the product leader and or the leadership team's ability to make decisions and align effectively. It's very difficult to restore that confidence once it has been eroded. And three, the dysfunctional precedent it sets from the top for siloed fiefdoms to persist as everyone continues to act in his or her own interest versus what's best for the customers, investors, and employees. So let's not let that happen. There are good, effective techniques to achieve alignment, and we're going to hear a lot more about those in our next two episodes. Thank you to Nate, Sean, and Troy for the perspectives and wisdom they shared in this episode. If you're a product leader seeking alignment with your CEO, peers, and teams, I'd love to be of help. Contact me on LinkedIn or Twitter or schedule an initial consultation with me using the Contact Me page at fearless-product.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fearless Product Leadership. If you know a new product leader who would find this podcast helpful, please share it. You can follow me, Hope Gurion, on LinkedIn and Twitter, or subscribe to the Fearless Product Leadership podcast on your favorite podcast platform to be notified of new episodes. You will find transcripts, video versions of each episode, as well as more information on my Fearless Product Coaching and Consulting Services by visiting my website, fearless-product.com. Fearless Product. Confidence through evidence.